On this week's show, a non-league expert gives his views on the ongoing National League process and where it goes from here. And Maidstone United co-owner Oliver Ash tells us all about his hopes for a salary cap in the National League. Uh, and it reduces the risk of this. A sensible salary cap will reduce the risk of clubs going bust because they take on too much debt. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Ollie Podcast brought to you in association with Workforce Dimensions Limited. Oh and that reminds me, our good pal Sam sent me a message yesterday, I must get back to him. Uh, I'm glad to hear that he's okay in these tough times. I am John Phipps and on the line now is a man who I tested out a football quiz on that I did for my uni mates last weekend and I'm delighted to say that he beat them all. It's Matt Gerrard, how are you mate? Not bad mate, not bad at all. Yeah, I'm glad I won that. I was... I was lost on the Brazilian round. Quickly, John, I thought I'd get to mention you this. You might have to keep this in way out. My bread will be ready in about 20 minutes. So right. if I have to run off to take my bread out of the oven, we'll carry on talking. So you might as well keep it in. So it's a little yep. bit of cookery as well today. So, yeah. how, yep. how much of a jeopardy is that? That, you, that If you're listening to this podcast now, you know that Matt Gerrard's bread will either have been a massive success or a dreadful failure. And it could all be down to this show. I've timed it. So I know I put it in about 10 minutes ago. And dead on 30 minutes, it's got to come out. So um, I'm pretty confident. As long as I get in the 30-minute window, I will be um, fine on, on that basis. So, um, yeah, that's that from there. So hopefully that will, uh, will be A-OK. But apart from that, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, everything's plodding along. The kids had their birthdays, which was good. So they got what they wanted. We don't, we don't really go out that much, apart from a walk about 6 o'clock. Um, but nothing else really changed. And we're not going anywhere until the end of the month anyway. So... Apart from my trips to Sainsbury's, we're just keeping away from bits and pieces because somebody who we did a bit of social distance in the garden, they've been out in Broadstairs and he said it was absolutely mental at the weekend and we we're trying to avoid that, to be honest. Yeah, we're in the same sort of boat, although we are heading uh, back to the, the Garden of England uh, on Sunday as it's Father's Day. So we're going to go and uh, socially distance with my folks uh, for a bit of a barbecue just because, you know, after a while, you just get, you just have enough of, of being just the, the two of us. So, you know, we've got to get out and, and do something. So we're going to do that. So that'll be good. Uh, anyway, it is our 128th episode this week. And for me, it's one of the great numbers uh, as it's a square of two, which I always like. So two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128. Magic. Great numbers because you can knock them out. I view it like a cup competition when 128 gets involved. This is the round of 128, as they would now call it, uh, and, and, and all that. So a, a top number. Do you have a spectrum 128 as a kid? I think I did, actually. Yeah, what a system. I think I had a 128ZX. I, I think because at one stage I had the, probably said, the Commodore 16 plus four, which none of my mates had. And they all had a Commodore 64. So I was a bit gutted about that. And of course, all I ever wanted to do was play football manager games on it. I think you could have football manager on them. But they had really cool ones, a Commodore 64. And I could never have that. They got up to a 128K ZX Spectrum. And the, and the games completely went to a different level on the football manager. One, I had Brian Clough. I had Kenny Dalgleish. I had loads and loads of games on that. So um, probably if you had that in the original box, Spectrum 128K, probably what? 1990 it's probably worth an absolute mint now but um yeah i remember that one two eight and of course working in it one two eight is quite an important number because hard drive size and so it's all binary mate from there i remember having a game on my spectrum uh one of the early games that i had and bearing in mind they took what a couple of minutes to load while they were doing it all this game was called fa cup and basically the whole game 
I think I had that one. An FA Cup, and like, so you just put the teams in, and then it just played, drew the ties out, played them for you. Uh, but but I, I still loved it, and then I remember having other games uh, on that as well. I had a football manager game that, that I realised had a big green background. I can't remember what it was called, but it was great. Uh, really, it was like World Soccer League or something like that, and all the te- it was a league of all teams from all over the world. So uh, yeah, happy happy memories. Do you know what? I've got a feeling that my spectrum is around somewhere. Uh, I think so, some of the games you could actually, if you knew, get into it. You could actually change the players' names. I think I had one called League yes. Challenge. And if you were clever enough, you can get in behind, the, you know, like football manager editor. And as I was, used to love Arsenal back in the day then, I'd put all the Arsenal youth players in. I'd always remember Danny Estier, I think his name was. And I put him in. So, of course, when the players got from the transfer, it was all these other players. So you didn't have Ray Wilkins or Chris Woods. You had all these Arsenal players coming through. And I think it was that bad, the game. Each time I loaded the game, I had to redo it all the time. It did, never remembered it. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's that is definitely uh, of its time, uh, and, and yeah, it was. I, I remember one time, as I say, mine was all different teams from all over the world, so I'd learned quite a lot about you know where places were. At one time, I decided I wanted to change all the teams to English, and that uh, completely blew up the system. So uh, <laughs> just shows how far things have come, and the, yeah, and the yeah, kids yeah. today, and we'll be talking about computer systems later on. But the kids today just don't know they're born. No, they? no not at all. But yeah, but I, I, I would. I was trying to think of one of the games that I actually had. And I'd love to, because if you go on the internet, you, people have got blogs and blogs about old football games, but I couldn't find it. But it was always the first game, whatever you started, it would always end 1-1 and you'd always score in the 17th minute. And I think Chris Wadd always got the goal. Just one of those, whatever happened, the first game was always 1-1 and it was always Chris Waddle. It was just one of those bizarre things. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely random. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on and start talking uh, about some football. Uh, earlier on this week, Matt sent me a message that uh, he was frustrated uh, about the lack of decision-making from the National League. But unfortunately, uh, it hasn't quite been finished yet. We're recording this show just after four o'clock uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and we understand that votes will be in on what the National League is going to do if there are going to be playoffs and so on and so forth within the next hour. Uh, so we will Probably won't hear about anything tonight, so the show should be out by the time we hear. Uh, but it obviously uh, is a story that keeps on moving and moving and moving. And uh, one person who has been an essential follow on social media during all of this is Ollie Bayliss. Now, he's a presenter of the Non-League Show. He's a football commentator and journalist at BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, and he's been brilliant. He's, he's so on the pulse with it all. And I thought it would be a really good opportunity to get him on the show and to ask him to just give us the inside track. So I spoke to him yesterday afternoon at three o'clock and I started by saying, here we are Tuesday, what's the latest state of play? So last night, the, the full resolution was, was sent to all 68 clubs, which is basically the, the framework to end and decide the season. Um, they've been given until, well, they've been advised and, and asked to reply with a, a vote for or against it by... Wednesday at 5pm, they get 28 days to respond if they want to, but the National League is obviously keen to try and get it all sorted a little bit sooner than that, so they've been given until tomorrow at 5pm, ideally to respond to that framework, and it essentially means that seasons will be decided by points per game, your standard unweighted points per game, champion clubs will be promoted, playoffs will happen if they can happen in the National League and the National League North and South, and then some number of clubs will be relegated from the National League. Now, if playoffs don't happen, at step two, it'll just be one club, it'll be Chorley. If playoffs do happen in the National League, North and South, well, there'll be three clubs, it would be FC Fylde, Chorley and Ebsley United. 
and yeah, I mean, obviously, from our point of view, Ebbs Fleet United is, is the big story there. And, and I think uh, when I've spoken to people at the club, they've said it's literally it's a, a, a fag paper the the difference that that would send them down on the points per game. But uh, it, it's it's just astonishing how long this has gone on, isn't it? Yeah, I think in in some ways you can understand the National League's position that they they wanted to wait to see what the EFL did because the strong suggestion was at one stage that the EFL weren't going to relegate anybody from League 2 if their season didn't finish. So there was no point the National League coming to a conclusion and saying, right, well, we're going to promote the top team but we won't bother with playoffs and we won't do any of that because any one team can go up. And then all, all of a sudden, Stephen and John Mack are coming down and actually there's a second spot available. So from that point of view, you can understand it. What's difficult to understand is they've had two to three months to prepare for this point and then uh, once the EFL did make the decision, they seem to have it's perhaps be a little bit unkind, made a little bit of a hash of it in terms of the decision over over playoffs at step two, which has an impact both on, on clubs being relegated from the National League and clubs hoping to be promoted from the National League North, the National League South. We have this email that went round to clubs last thing on Wednesday night, and clubs were also told at the meeting on Thursday that the government had advised the FA, who had told the National League that the playoffs couldn't take place in, in the North and South because they didn't constitute elite sportsmen or any athletes and several MPs have got involved since then and they seem to have back on that slightly but we still don't have any sort of definitive decision on that one and they're now saying here's the resolution vote for it and then after that we'll make a firm decision on playoffs so in effect you've got six clubs in the, the National League North six clubs in the National League South and Ebbsfleet United and AFC Park that are all voting for this not knowing what it'll mean for them and how it's going to end up and, and turn their season, which I suppose in one way is, is nice that they're voting on a sort of a sporting principle as opposed to you know a very clearly naked self-interest. On the other hand, they're voting and they're not knowing what it does mean, which kind of feels a bit odd. Yeah, and I suppose that one of the things that I'm pondering about the, the potential for the playoffs in the National League North and National League South is obviously clubs are being told it's going to cost them money to take part in these playoffs. So I, I wonder if there might be a team who's in those playoffs who think, oh, maybe we haven't got that much of a chance, that's a lot of money, who might even say, no, we don't want to be in these playoffs, even if they do happen. Yeah, it's a really weird situation. And we've had all sorts of figures, and it's hard at the moment. I don't think clubs even know the, the truth about how York City were... Their chairman speaking a few moments ago saying, you know, something between £110,000 and £150,000 to bring players back and testing and everything else. And other clubs that I've heard have sort of said £30,000, £40,000, something like that. I don't think the government have a specific guideline on exactly how much testing you're supposed to do, or even if you have to test, you've just got to bring athletes back in a safe way. Because the legal bring together uh, protocols and will ask for a certain amount of testing, but it isn't quite clear how much that's going to cost yet. And from what we understand, we can only have playoffs if four teams want to participate. So you could be in a position like New York City where your only hope of getting promoted is to go through the playoffs and you hear that you know Boston United are up for it and Brackley are up for it, but no one else is. And you almost have this weird situation where they, they desperately need a Gateshead or a Chester or whoever. I don't know any of these clubs where they're going to say yes or no, but you desperately need another club to take part so that you have any chance of going up. Otherwise, you don't, and then you could almost enter this weird, weird realm of, well, can you pay for their testing if you wanted to? I don't think you can. That probably feels quite unsporting, but you could do, I suppose. And then, of course, that team would go and win it and, and get promoted, obviously, so it's a lot. But it's a bit weird. In the same situation with the National League, we don't have absolute confirmation that all six clubs in the National League are going to be able to and can afford to take part in the playoffs. You'd imagine, in all cases, for all 18 clubs, there's a fair 
pressure to to take part. It's quite hard to sell season tickets next season, isn't it? If you turn down the opportunity to be in the playoffs, it's really difficult because fans would expect their team to take every opportunity to get promoted, but clubs don't want to risk the financial future of the club and, and things are looking pretty uncertain next season financially in terms of how many people they can get through through the gates and when the season's going to start and sponsorship and all that. So it's a really tricky decision for clubs to make. Yeah, we, a couple of weeks ago we spoke to uh, one of the Dartford co-owners. Uh, they are sixth, I think, in the National League, uh, National League South. So they will be in the playoffs if they go ahead. At the time he said to me, well, I think it's gone on too long now. But the other key point uh, where Dartford are concerned is they had urgent work that needed to be done on their pitch. And they tore their pitch up two or three weeks ago. Uh, and he said to me, well, the, the, the difficulty is... We needed that work done, and the chances of us actually needing the pitch for a home playoff are slim. But I wonder what would happen if that did happen, that quirk of fate, and it ended up being sixth against seventh in the playoff final. What would happen then? Uh, yeah, I suppose that, that would be possibly the only scenario that that could happen. At yeah. the moment, they'd be away against Town, wouldn't they? And then they'd be, be playing a beat. Be Weymouth, wouldn't it? They'd be yeah. playing. No, it wouldn't be having a Waterloo, I think. Away against having it in theory, but of course, we don't know if they're all going to take part in the playoffs necessarily. Yeah, there is a slim chance, isn't there? They, they might, need, might need the pitch. It's a bit of an awkward, tricky situation. And you look at the National League, there's a lot of in this awkward situation where they've got a 3D pitch at the moment and they'd have to rip that up and, and replace it with grass in order to meet EFL regulations if they were to go up. Well, You'd imagine they will take part in the playoffs, and it's going to be probably end of July before that concludes, and they know if they're going up or not. And the new EFL season may well start sort of early September, so there's not going to be a huge amount of time for them to get that work done. I think clubs are quite surprised that they're being asked to take part in the playoffs. When when the the league consulted with clubs a couple of months ago to ask if they thought playoffs were feasible, the majority came back and said no, they weren't, including quite a lot of the clubs that were in playoff positions in, in step two. So I think this has caught a lot of teams by surprise. And, and moving on to, to talk about next season, you, you've obviously got your, your, your nose to the ground in a lot of areas. What, what's the general feeling you're getting about when next season might start? It's all led by government guidelines, isn't it? And then what the R rate is and, and how we're looking nationally. But at the, the meetings on Thursday when, when clubs spoke to the National League, they also heard from the FA and there was an FA presentation where clubs were, were told that the government had advised the FA to provisionally prepare for a, a September start to next season. So I understand that that might involve some crowds um, with sort of partially reopened stadiums, perhaps, depending on, on protocol and the and health and safety of it. But roughly, I think they're looking at a, a September start. And of course, this elite athlete situation and also complicates and, and confuses that for the, the National League North and South because if they do come under this elite athlete status then in theory they're, they're all free to start the season whenever they want they can start the season tomorrow if they, they pay for the testing and, and it's all safety protocols but if they're not elite athletes well they've got to wait for general public guidance to change and they've got to allow wait for the point where you know 22 of us could all go and have a kick around in the park under the, the government rules because that's basically the bracket that they then fall under they fall under the rest of amateur and recreational sports so you might end up in this weird situation where the National League is good to go, but the, the North and South have to wait, along with the rest of the non-league, for the, the government guidelines to change. 
Yeah, I was going to move on to sort of further down the pyramid because here in Kent, we've got one of the strongest uh, Step 5 leagues in the country, in the Southern Counties East League. And I understand as well that there's a meeting later this week, a, a virtual meeting where chairmen of, of clubs at that level are being invited to sort of have their, to, to get guidance about when their season's going to start. And for those clubs, the, the money of getting people through the gates and spending money in the bars is, is the lifeblood, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is, isn't it? It's, it's selling those burgers and those raffle, those raffle tickets on match day and it's the gate money and it's yeah, the bar money and, and everything else. And all the summer events as well, you know, lots of clubs have, have clubhouses that are used for, for parties or, you know, bar mitzvahs, wedding funerals, whatever. And they don't make any money off, off any of that at the moment. Some of them have got pitch hire and, and summer tournaments, all that sort of stuff. And that's to be cancelled. You have big pre-season friendlies as well where you might get a league club to, to come down and you can fill the ground. All of that's gone at the moment. There's a meeting with the FA, as you said. I gather it's league chairman and league secretary, so it's if all the, the step five and six leagues, all those chairmen and secretaries are going to meet with the FA. And I gather it's to discuss various scenario planning for next season. Crucially, I would imagine when next season is expected to start, whether it will be that, that September date that step one and two have been provisionally given. And then from there, they'll no doubt go and, and feed back to all their clubs and, and give them a rough idea. Because you know, at the moment, we, we would be in the summer break we wouldn't be playing games right now but pretty soon we'd be normally coming back for pre-season fixtures and, and getting Cubs ready to start the start of August I think the start of August is probably unlikely but maybe September So, so just finally to, to, to put you on the spot a bit I suppose how, how do you think the National League could, could, could have dealt with this better? I think the, the step two playoff issue is it has become the big one that was the big sticking point that was the big issue that, that caused your clubs like York City and having Waterlooville to to put forward various amendments and to try and push for a second club to be promoted if playoffs couldn't take place. That was what caused all the the, the public issues with MPs coming forward and and stating the the government guidelines that hadn't explicitly ruled out the, the playoffs. I those guidelines, from what I understand, have been in place for, for several weeks from the government, and it sounds like they they haven't changed. So uh, really nailing down exactly whether or not they could or couldn't have playoffs at step two, I think would have made the whole process a lot easier. And then clubs could have been voting on Friday for Monday, knowing what it meant for them. And going forward, I think it would have been a lot smoother. I think the league were probably right to wait for the AFL to make a decision as long as it, it felt. I think that was probably the right way forward. But that was really the, the key problem, and that's what caused so much confusion and so much frustration, I think, from clubs over the weekend. But it seems like now we're heading towards a resolution... And from what we gather, I think there's quite a lot of support for for this resolution to pass. Clubs like, like Notts County have, have come out today. Halifax Town have said they're going to vote for it. And so a few other clubs are going to vote for it. I've not heard from any club off the record that they're going to vote against it yet. You'd imagine there'd be a, a few clubs that are looking to be relegated. You'd imagine would, would prefer not to vote for this. But I'd be very surprised if it doesn't pass on, on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and that the FA don't ratify it. The key question, I guess, that we still don't know is, whether or not playoffs are going to be able to take place at step two, and that's repercussions for six teams in each of those leagues and two teams coming down or not coming down from the National League. Interesting stuff there, Matt, and and you can tell that it just seems like they weren't thinking enough about what was going to happen, and perhaps the National League should have been in a situation where they knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I think I've met Ollie Bailey, I think he's the Bournemouth um, commentator, so fair play, I have to say to him, his work around this has been absolutely phenomenal, and uh, getting in the stories, etc. So thanks for him on that. Yeah, it's, we thought, every time we come on to discuss this, John, we think, oh, we come on the end of it, but did it ever cross our minds that 
there would never be Conference South playoffs, a Conference South or North playoffs, only if they null and voided it. But it seems to be they've missed this line in the government about elite sport, which none of us really sort of knew anything about. And of course, since then, it all kicked off. And you can hardly say people like York and haven't have got a point on that. As somebody said to me, how can you get Barnet a chance of promotion in 11th place? Because they could go in the playoffs with the points per game. But York, who at the moment are top of the table and will be knocked off on points per game, can't have a chance of promotion. So it doesn't make sense. And I think the National League, fair play, they've gone to it, they've looked at it and waiting on the government advice. That I think both league or three, all three leagues have got to be singing from the same hymn sheet regarding promotion and relegation. And we know that affects Ebsleet big time. And I feel for Ebsleet there. But for the competition itself and the way going forward in future, I think this needs to be done. Because if something happened in five years' time in this thing and somebody said, oh, but you only relegated one in 2020, it could really build up a bag of worms and, and what would go on. So to be honest, it has been an absolute farce from beginning to end. But maybe we're getting into the... Uh, at least at a resolution, but that might not tell, still take a little bit more time. But it seems crazy, and it's, I just cannot get my head around this of how, where we've gone round and round in circles with it, and we still haven't got anywhere. But we'll no, get it, close. yeah, it is ridiculous. And an interesting point that Ollie made there about the cost of being in the playoffs, and and that has certainly caused. Uh, some debate up and down up and down the country. I know uh, Dorking Wanderers are saying £25,000 and they even put a tweet out saying a, a well-run club should have that money ready to go, uh, mm. which I know the Concord chairman, who's a very vocal uh, chap on a lot of things, has said, well, we haven't got £25,000 in, in the bank. And York City saying it could be up to £150,000 to get all their players back and, every, and, and ready to play. And as I said to Ollie there, and, and that kind of just came up uh, as a light bulb moment when I was chatting to him, what if there's a team in the playoffs who's in, I don't know who's seventh in the National League North, but looks at it and says, we ain't got a prayer here. I don't fancy it. And that's where it comes into it. And I suppose this is where you can look at it, Matt, from a proper supporters point of view. Hypothetically, if Dover Athletic were fifth in the playoffs and were offered the chance to play in the playoffs and said no, how would you feel about that? Um, I'll be... Are we disappointed? No, looking at Dover's record. It's a bit like the 3G pitch scenario. I think it is. If you're going to get promoted, a certain, you know, would you, you, you would have to rip up your pitch if you wanted to go in the Football League. There's no way around it. We know that Bromley would do it. Harrogate would do it. I think supporters would say, if you've got a chance in the playoffs, we followed you all the way around. And I'm a big fan of in football. You've always got to move up the spectrum. Move up, move up where you can. You'd be disappointed if your team didn't do it, but you've got to look at the financial implications as well. I don't know who's in seventh place in it from there. Again, 150,000 Yorker saying they're only going to get 80,000, 90,000 from the National League. So you're working with a um, a deficit there, but they're a big club, York. So you can see they want to get back to the levels they were. I, I think from a supporter's point of view, as you look at it, that you want your team to be involved. But if the cost is too much, and you've got to do it. Well, the chart, what's that? Who is seventh play? Brackley, maybe? But yeah, it's a difficult one. But I think still, I think they've got to sing from the same hymn sheet. And I'm now going over. If they're not all going to do the same, you've got to null and void it. Which it's, I don't it, think it's happened now. But that's not no, going to happen, I don't think, is it? No, that, I think that's definitely off the table as things stand. So um, we shall see. Um, How many teams? Are, if the six teams are going to go in the playoff, and it's six? Yeah, six. Um, 
if I think they've got to go, they can go with a maximum of four, can't they? Arguably, you look at it last season because uh, Concord couldn't go in the playoffs, did they? So they went with five anyway. Yes. Didn't they? So, so you could go. You can't. You can't have three. So only one. To, well, well, if it goes to that, you should probably could have it because you just have a playoff between the top two. There must be more than two teams will do it. But it does. It does seem a bit of a fast because you're doing a precedent from years to come. I think on this. Yeah, the team in, uh, who would be seventh in the National League North, incidentally, uh, is Gateshead. Now, after the reason that they're actually in the National League North, do you think they've got 25 grand, grand line around to get involved uh, in these playoffs? <laughs> yeah, well, no. Um, you know, I presume you've got to think about it. where they where they they will be. They're not going to play at neutral ground, so Gateshead might have to go to play Brackley, for example, which is a hell of a trek, isn't it? So the mm. cost of getting there, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a bag of. I can see where the likes of Haven't and York are coming from, saying this is not right. And I hate to say it though, the bottom of the you cannot relegate just one team. No. I feel for Chorley on that basis. Well, the they're the only team, team in the whole of non-league to get relegated. relegated. That is a farcical situation. If you just don't relegate them, then you just don't relegate them. That that is not fair, and you don't relegate relegate anybody, and you stay as you are or you run more teams in the National League. So, But it seems to me it's going down this route. The FA will probably ratify it because it's easier to just say yes rather than cause a stink. But then where to filed and absolutely come from at that point of view? They may put up a legal fight as well, I presume, or will they not have a leg to stand on? I honestly don't know. Well, our interview with, uh, with Damon Irvine last week, he was, he was quite... Um nonplussed about it not yeah. nonplussed you know but he obviously is prepared for it to happen and you know it is uh, a difficult situation for him you can see how close it is at the bottom of that table uh, and you do wonder you know I mean especially as they just beat Maidenhead as well a couple of weeks before uh, the season ended that is a particularly tough pill for them to swallow if that does happen um, and one thing I do want to say before we uh, sort of move on from this is looking at the National League South points per game table uh, Tunbridge Angels move up to 15th place uh, in the league now I I'm pretty sure, and I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on this, Matt Davison, if you're listening. I don't think they've been that high all season, so that's an absolute result for them, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? You, you, I don't think they have been 15th. So where, where are they at the moment? 19th, are they? 19th? 20th. 20th. So, so it goes on the basis, if you don't play many games, which they unfortunately didn't because of their pitch, you move up the league, as Barnett have found out as well when they move into the playoffs. So all in all, if you'd have offered... Tunbridge Angels 15th back in August when the world was in a better place you would taken your hand off and he's done a very good job there Steve McKim so um, fair play to them but yeah I'm hopeful of the resolution maybe by the end of the week by Friday or next week's show we'll have a little bit more when the games will be there is rumours that the finals will be at neutral venues and not at Wembley which is a good sign because surely the cost of putting it on at Wembley would be absolutely farcical but when will these games kick off I suppose we're on the 17th of June now I presume they've got to be done by the end of July so it could be a way off how these are all going to work because you probably need. They used to work, they used to play them Tuesday, Saturday, the Tuesday. So you're thinking a good two weeks to actually complete the playoffs, aren't you? Two weeks back in for players. So I suppose you could be could do it from there. But interesting to see how it all works out the logistics logistics of it now and if well, Ebsleet and Fylde do decide this is not fair. But the consensus from what Ollie's sort of saying, it's going to get through, isn't it? 
Well, by, by the sounds of things, yeah, he's very confident that it is going to be sorted. Uh, as you heard him just say at the end there, he said that he thinks there is a support uh, for this resolution and, and that it will be passed. So I guess we'll find out, as you say, uh, before next week's show, we'll kind of know where we stand uh, and we'll know if Ebbsfleet have been relegated and also if Dartford are in the playoffs. And so it came to pass, despite my prediction that we wouldn't get any news uh, on Wednesday or certainly before I'd entered the podcast, sure enough, the National League have announced that the resolution has been accepted by the clubs and that the three National League League divisions will all be concluded with a final league table compiled on unweighted points per game. Uh, A statement on the National League website says the outcome is Barrow AFC are champions of the Vanaramo National League, Kingsing Town champions of National League North and Wilson are champions of National League South. The end of season playoffs will now proceed with the clubs that qualify subject to the competition rules and the applicable government guidance on the phased return of elite sports. Uh, there's no confirmation uh, about what will happen that or there's no confirmation that the playoffs will definitely happen in National League South as it continues the number of clubs to be relegated from the Vanarama National League will be determined so as to maintain a national division of 24 clubs after any relegation from the EFL League 2 promotion to League 2 and promotion from the National League North and National League South divisions there will be no relegation from National League North or National League South in the statement the National League CEO Michael Tattersall said, I congratulate each of our champion clubs on their successful campaigns. The enforced containment of our season does nothing to discredit the quality of the football played. And I'm pleased our clubs have overwhelmingly supported the award of their titles. We can now also look towards the completion of the end of season playoffs. Uh, and then there is a note at the end of the statement which says, National League clubs are asked to support an ordinary resolution to conclude this season with final league tables co- compiled on an unweighted points per game basis. The resolution received the support of a significant majority of member clubs in each division. So, essentially, although the resolution has now been passed, we know that Barrow are champions, we know that Wildstone are champions, we're still not quite sure what that means for Ebbsfleet and Dartford. So, we'll surely we'll find out in the coming days what goes on. Back over to me. I'm interested in this uh, terming of elite athletes. Right. Uh, and I understand that the definition is that the, the players make their only income from playing football. Now, uh, while that is obviously a, a big thing, and, and you know there are teams in the National League who are part-time, and the majority are full-time, but there are also teams in North and South who are full-time. So it, I don't know how you can draw draw the line like that. And, and the other interesting point along those lines uh, that Ollie made there was that we could be in a situation where if the ruling is that the National League North and National League South are not elite football, the National League Premier Division could start on in September and then we'll be waiting for the for North and South, which it just seems to me like an absolute mess. Again, uh, I, I, I don't think we've got that hand, but the, the way the National League is handled, they've got Brian Barwick in it, who's been head of the FA. It just seems to be, as Ollie and other people have said, hanging on the coattails of the Football League, but maybe miss the point at their own thing. They'd be more interested in looking up rather than looking inside their own bubble of things are going to work. And, you know, that's that's missing the elite um, the elite wording on the government proposal or whatever it is uh, they've got does seem to have caused a bit of a, a, an issue. So I don't know if that was if they've just looked at it and said, oh, hopefully nobody will pick it up or they've really just missed it and been a fast. But you can see the the kicking off on social media last week on with York, etc., like that. So, and I think maybe once this is all over and we're back up and running, the National League maybe has to look at how it's going to work because there will be a lot of unhappy people out there. How it's taken so long to get this where when it's been three months since the season ended. 
Yeah, and also, you know, if we're going to have leagues starting at different times, all I'm going to say is, won't people please think of the podcasters, because this could be a nightmare for us. Um, well, it, I, I read it, it said something, the Kent County League, it said they want to start in August. Well, I suppose I mean, if you... But if you get that, if you get sort of small crowds like that, then you know if there's no crowds coming in, and I suppose if you go into the Scaffold Division One, some teams, if they say gatherings of up to fifty people are allowed, we'll be able to do that quite comfortably. Yeah, I think everything will change probably on the fourth of July when everything the government is going to put its proposals out for pubs, businesses like you've got, John, and maybe events for more than people can be held. If that is the case, it could really then say, right, everything will kick off from this point of view. But interesting to see what people have said. That the government have been advising the football leagues. So maybe the football leagues do know what's going on and the government eventually will come out and say this. So there's probably stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. But certain leagues, I, know, I think I saw September the 12th, was it the football league wants to start? That seems to be yep. consensus that could be the case. So maybe there is stuff going behind the scenes. But I think the supporters, particularly in the National League, have been sort of left in the dark about this. Let's hopefully soon it will be opened up so we can see really what's going on going forward. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, thank you to Ollie for his time there. We're going to move on now and talk to another Ollie, well, Oliver. There was a story in the non-league paper at the weekend talking about a salary cap. Uh, it's something that's been probably muted before and there's, there's whys and wherefores and pluses and minuses. Uh, but one person who is a big advocate of that uh, is Maidstone United co-owner Oliver Ash. Uh, he's a big rugby fan and it's it, it's play, it, he lives in France and, and the French Rugby League has a salary cap. And obviously rugby uh, in, in the UK does have salary caps as well. And it, it almost seems like a logical step. And, and with the current climate and everything like that, it does seem like a good idea and now is possibly a good time to discuss it. Uh, as you'll hear in this interview, Oliver is part of a sort of working group that's, that's looking into the, the possibility of sorting it out. Uh, I spoke to Oliver earlier this morning uh, and he, we started, of course, by talking about the current situation and how it is affecting Maidstone United. I've got to take my bread out, mate. Well, the club is effectively shut down, has been for many weeks uh, and we're just getting going with um, some academy training uh, we're considering at the moment whether we can open up for community training um, and limited activities just to get some life back into the club, which would be great. You know, there's limited uh, action like you know um, the club shop we're selling online, and we're trying to we're trying to you know keep a, a buzz around the fan base as much as we can, and make sure that we're not losing money and, and keeping going in the meantime. And that's the key thing. We don't know. Um, what's going to happen and when the, the league might start up again. So we're in a very difficult position. And, and I suppose financially, it's got to be asking all sorts of questions and, and clubs are, are going to find this hard once this is all over. Are, are Maidstone among those? Well, I think it, it's difficult to say. One thing I would say is that um, there was an analysis done uh, on paper, which I saw from the Concord Rangers chairman, um, about the impact on clubs in the National League South of having crowd restrictions when football is allowed up again. And he just took a, as a figure 25% if the government say, for example, you could start um, football again in September, but you can only have 25% of your capacity, which is not beyond the realm of possibility, then the two clubs that would be hit the most sort of dramatically hard would be Dulwich Hamlet and ourselves. Because we have... Um, big crowds and because we rely extensively on crowds for our um, for our finances we don't have a you know owners throwing money in and, and, and uh, we don't have a massive ground that, uh, that has uh, 
only occupied at 25%. So most of the clubs um, would, would find that relatively harmless, but we would be pretty devastated by it. So that is a, I use that as examples to why not just, obviously Dulwich um, as well, but we are in a very difficult position because until we know exactly how and when the season might start, we can't really budget because any restrictions would have a big impact on our income and therefore on our playing budget. So we really are in a difficult position, perhaps compared to other Kent clubs at our level. I know that you spoke a few weeks ago about you're not sure if you're going to stay full-time or drop back to a reduced training. We're a few weeks along now. Has there been any more thoughts on that one? There's a lot of thought. Um, we still haven't decided, and one of the reasons is just as I said, because we still don't have a clear picture of what our um, income is going to be. And if we don't know what our income is going to be, we can't just say, well, if the income drops, we'll, we'll find other money to come in. It doesn't work like that. So we, we have... You know, we know we're going to be operating with a, a smaller budget than last season and the question we have to answer is you know, can we, if the budget goes smaller, we don't know how much, can we operate sensibly with daytime training or do we have to go to evening training? It's a very difficult question because um, you know, we've in discussions with, um, with, the, with the manager, we, we have a, some players who may not be on massive wages are still happy to, to do daytime training but we know there are other players who um, we might like to attract to the club would only be available for evening training so it's it's a very difficult one and at the moment we, we, we haven't um, as of yesterday we hadn't decided uh, definitively which way we were going to go we knew that um, you know we may have to invent a new a new way of doing it where we mix up we allow one or two players perhaps to, to come and train in the evenings and we have others training in the day and, and, and have a, some sort of a hybrid system. I don't know. We'll have to decide soon if the uh, if the FA start to make decisions about when football will start, but it, the decision hasn't been made yet. And obviously you, you, you've always been an ambitious club and you were look, I know you were looking to do something with, with part of the stadium as well. Has, has this affected that too? You, you bought that strip of land on the far side, haven't you? Yes, but that's a long-term project, uh, so there's no impact of this then? No, not at all. No, we, well, the only impact of this is it slows down all these sorts of projects. I mean, the, the long-term project is to develop the ground to a level which would allow us to, to allow the club to be in League 2 or League 1 under the current rules. In other words, to have 5,000 capacity and um, a minimum of 1,000 seats. So that's the plan. And, and as soon as we can sensibly finance it, we, we would love to do that. But it's not really the immediate priority. I understand as well that uh, there is there's starting to be a, a working group about about the idea of a salary cap in the National League, and I know you're a big advocate of that. Yes, there's a there's a, a sort of ad hoc working group of I think some frustrated um, club owners who who feel that the National League hasn't addressed a number of issues to safeguard clubs uh, as well as perhaps they might have done, uh, and one of the issues amongst. Uh, uh, a list is is that of salary caps, and um, it, it, I, I'm an advocate of salary caps. Yes, I am. Um, it was discussed at the National League board a few years ago, and, and I was one of the few that said I thought it was a good idea and it could be done. It, it, you know, at the moment, well, the, the thing about the salary caps is it prevents rich clubs from buying leagues just with money, uh, and it reduces the risk if there is a sensible salary cap will reduce the risk of clubs going bust because they take on too much debt and get into um, you know get into deep water basically so it, it, in principle 
they are, you know, they create integrity, they even up leagues, they make them more interesting, and, and they're fairer. And that's that's why I like the idea. They can be policed. Um, it needs extra resources to police them properly. If they're policed properly, uh, as they are in, in, for example, in rugby, in the Premiership, in, in uh, England and in France as well, in the top 14, if they are if they are policed properly, they, the, the policing works. Clubs do behave because they know if they get caught paying players, you know, in other ways or with cash or through the owners' companies, um, they will be fined or have points deducted. And, and uh, so it does work. And what's interesting is in the working party, the working group of clubs, you've got clubs like Chesterfield, Ebbsfleet, and Fylde, who traditionally have been clubs that, are, that throw money at. Um, at their wage bill and they are rethinking the wisdom of doing that that's one thing which I find fascinating in this is that yeah they are prepared to sort of say well this may be not the best way of, of, of running clubs and the Covid crisis has brought that home and uh, you know the file chairman I had a bit of a go at him um, on that point saying it's a bit rich now for you to say we want a salary cap when you've been doing that and he said well you know we're all entitled to change our minds and the, the, crisis, the Covid crisis has, has really made us look at everything we do in a different different light. So I think that's great. And so we're having an interesting debate on this and other things um, Yeah, on, in, in this working group. I suppose I'm partly playing devil's advocate here, but w- would there be perhaps some, some clubs near the top of the pyramid saying, well, if, if we are restricted to that, if we were to get promoted, it would make life harder for us if we got promoted into League Two? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not... I'm not really sure what the... I mean, the thinking is also that there are salary caps being talked about in League 2 and League 1 at the moment. So it's it would be consistent for the National League to, to then bring them in. In fact, I'm not sure what the National League board um, would would do with that um, because they like to hang on to the Football League's coattails anyway. They might decide that they should start to look at bringing them in. So it's there may be a bit of a... Um, you know, push to do that anyway. Uh, I, I, I just think you know the, the arguments for, for, for looking at them and having them are, are very sound. And, and uh, you know, if the the, the money bags clubs start to believe they're good for, for for football, then there's more of a chance that they will be um, popular and brought in. Obviously, it's been a pretty turbulent time for the National League since in the last week or so with all these different resolutions and things like that. What are your thoughts on what they should should do with the season? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I've been, I've been. Um, I mean, there are so many different things coming out. It's it's pretty chaotic with the the, um, the way the national league have been handling it. We've had so many different votes, so many different ideas. It's it's um, it's a very difficult one. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about this since since February March when it first you know what should happen to football and and uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I speak for the club because we, there are different views in. Amongst uh, colleagues at Maidstone about what should what should happen, but I, I was keen from from the first signs of how serious this was all going to be that the league should stop, that there shouldn't be any more um, football, and you know it, that that could even be said to if that it was said to me on a number of occasions that was against the interests of Maidstone United because we could have we could have made the playoffs uh, and, and possibly achieved promotion. That was a bit of a long shot. It was still possible. So. But I thought it was, it, we should have ended the season. There's, as I think we've discussed before, and you've discussed on your show, that there's no fair, a perfectly fair solution to all this. Whatever you do, you you upset some clubs. It's it's, it's fair. It's fair to some and not so fair to others. 
whether you null and void it or PPG it or, or do the playoffs or don't do the playoffs. It's you know it's um, it's a very difficult one. You've got the right now the, the National League said there's going to be one promoted club. Then there was an outcry and, and Paul Doswell at Havant um, threw his toys out of the pram and said this is outrageous. You know they're in second place, so obviously he wants promotion. He said we should have the playoffs. Dorking jumped on the bandwagon. You know we should have the playoffs. Then some of the the, 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 the less wealthy clubs said, well, having the playoffs in National League South could be prejudicial to the other clubs because of the the money it would take and the precedent it sets that you know, National League South would become elite sport. That sets a precedent which you know has a risk um, for, for the rest of us. So you know, there's all sorts of arguments. Um, you know, my, my, my view right now is that I, I don't really care whether they have the playoffs or whether they promote the second club I have sympathy for the clubs that have done well during the season and feel they deserve promotion but I just want to concentrate now as most of the clubs in, in the south do on trying to prepare as best we can for, for next season this season is damaged beyond repair and um, as I said at the beginning I would have nulled, nulled and voided it back in March and, and just said look it's bad luck we've had I don't know three fifths three quarters of the season it's just really bad luck for those who've done well but this season is now damaged and we, we have to disregard it and I think that if I recall rightly from listening to your show you you didn't agree with that you said well, we've had three quarters of the season and uh, therefore it's it would be crazy not to continue it well I, I, I kind of I understand that but I think that you know in the last quarter of the season so much can happen and therefore even somebody who's done well and is leading we've seen plenty of cases of where they've been caught up and ended up not promoted and club that the bottom gets out of relegation and the last gasp of the season so nothing is decided um, yeah I think my view on it was always that well, I think the decision was just made too hastily and I could understand yeah. that that you know that obviously if, if we were three or four games into the season just say right forget it ever happened but I think that what they should have done at the outset is said, right, well, we'll just worry about this season. We'll finish this season. If next season doesn't happen, then next season doesn't happen. But we've got to finish this season. But I think as time's gone on, you know, it's now got to the stage where you've got to... And I think my biggest frustration is that it's not one rule for, for everyone. That If they were going to do... The, if they were going to null and void the, the leagues below you, then they should null and void the leagues above you and you as well. And I think that's my biggest frustration with it now. But it's... It, yeah, uh, it's, at the same time, it's very difficult to treat all the all the leagues as, as one because they all have different capabilities. Look, I mean, tonight the Premier League is starting behind closed doors because they can. It's the best solution financially for them. Mm. For us, it would be disastrous. Just behind closed doors is just laughable. Um, the whole thing about football at our level, which I don't think is elite sport in any by any means, the, the, the idea of saying that is, is just doesn't seem. Um, sound is, is um, it's football for the fans, for crowds. It's all about people getting together and milling around and enjoying football. And, and uh, you, know, you can't play our football behind closed doors. So I don't think that they you can treat them all the same way. It's not. I don't. I don't think so. And I also think that the longer it goes on, the less it is this season. I mean, this season finished in you know middle of March, and, and now it's a different season. The clubs have all the clubs have changed. The the, the players may be different. It's not the same season. It gets to a point where you you have to stop it. You can't just say it's the same season. It's almost not fair. You could have a club that would buy its way because it would throw money at the last 20% of the season. So 
look, there's no perfect solution. We just we maybe have to agree to disagree on that, as everybody does anyway. It's, there's no exactly. perfect solution. Uh, looking at the season uh, generally, obviously null and void or points per game. Manchester United ninth uh, in National League South. When you look back at it, are, are you pleased with how t- things turned out, or, or disappointed? Uh, I would say probably slightly disappointed. I mean, there were good there were good moments in the season, and there we've we've had some some good performances, and um, it's easy to forget those. But you know, we targeted the playoffs. We we know we had one of the best budgets in the in the league. Uh, and we were outside, uh, and we were at the, the, the final throws of the season, the, the, the season that's now finished. Uh, we were disappointing. So I think overall, it would be on the, you know, the, the needle would be going to the side of slightly disappointed. We, we'd hope to do um, to do better. And even though we had to reconstruct the whole team and we had new managers and all the rest of it, it was slightly slightly disappointing. And obviously, um, it's going to be a, tr- a transitional again w- when it all starts because John Stills moved on and Hakan is now in in full control of the team. And, and I guess he's he sort of served his apprenticeship at the Stones, and you'll be looking forward to seeing how he does next year. Yeah, as uh, as we said before, we you know we want to give him the opportunity now to, to take take charge as he can, and, and uh, we hope that that will work out. It's a tough challenge because, as I say, we we don't know what form it's going to take at the moment, and. and uh, you know, it hasn't all been agreed with him uh, from that point of view yet, because originally, you know, we we have been uh, uh, daytime training, uh, sort of full time outfit, and um, you know that that may change. So things are still, you know, still up in the air. But um, yeah, we would be we're certainly optimistic that as and when the football can start again, we can we can do better than we we, we did uh, last last season. I suppose just finally, uh, I know it's been a few months since he announced he was moving on, but John Steele w- w- was a great man, a legend of Maidstone United, and I'm sure uh, you wish him well in, in his retirement. So I know he's had a tough few years, hasn't he? Yes, yeah, absolutely, and, and um, he, he's been uh, he's been great. He's brought uh, some stability and some experience and wisdom, and uh, uh, it's been it's been a good in that point of view. It's brought us some stability and. and recreated a link a little bit with the past because he was a manager here before at, uh, at Maidstone so yes it was it was good and we do wish him we wish him absolutely well in, in whatever he does now for him and his family we're, uh, we're very fond of him uh, so while you were listening uh, to Oliver Ash, I'm delighted to say that Matt went and got his bread out and it has turned out very well uh, so that's great news for everybody but uh some really interesting points made by Oliver Ash while you weren't listening to that Matt he says that Maidstone United could struggle uh, and be arguably the most affected club in the league if they are told to open with a reduced capacity uh, and that is a, a massive thing isn't it well I, I did see the um, tweet is it Ant Smith I think the Concord, yes, Concord, name, Concord yeah. get a lot of mentions this week in the pod and I said about that because he, I think he said about 25% you think Maidstone's capacity what is just over three and a half thousand before they do it and of course they get 2,000 every week 25% of 3,000 is probably like 700, 700 or something like that. So you can see the, the amount of money they will be losing out on. So you can see why certain clubs are not keen to do that. But I don't know if Maidstone can say, no, we don't want to start in that because that's not good enough for us. Honestly, do not know. But it's it's an interesting one. It seems to be that everybody seems to think that 25% could be the thing. Like from a Dover point of view, it could be fine because they've got 6,000 capacity. That very rarely get over 1,500 anyway. So... Um, for them, it could be okay. But certain big clubs, especially in the National League as well, and you know, like Dulwich Hamlet have got massive gates. You're losing so much money and you're losing so much money on the bars. 
I can really see where he's coming from here. So, you know, we keep criticising the National League. We really need an overview here and they need to talk about clubs. We need to know when the league is going and going to make sure that every club is fully on board on this and saying, we don't want to be losing money because we know the situation. We've lost money. We haven't had any money in for nigh on six months and it will be. I think the biggest challenge is going to be for clubs like Dover, really, uh, in terms of, yes, you might you may be fine with what you normally get, but when football comes back, I think there's going to be people who are going to be wanting to go and watch matches. And then I think every game is going to have to be all tickets so that you can restrict the number of people that come in. So that then means you've got to pay out for, for more ticket staff and ticket ticket printing facilities and things like that, because... The last thing Dover want is to be allowed to have a certain number of people in and then 4,000 people turn up just because they can't get into Maidstone, they can't get into Websfleet and so on and so forth. So I think it's a really, really big conundrum for all of our clubs, even down to the scaffold. Yeah, I think on that point of view, Dover at the moment do not have the ability to take... I know certain clubs do, like Maidstone do, you can buy tickets. You'd have to have an all-ticketing system, I would have thought, for certain places. You've mm. got big clubs coming down. And I know there's a cost implication for that because Dover looked into it and they said it well. They didn't think it was something they'd be worthwhile in doing. So you're looking at your business model and changing bits and pieces around about that. So, yeah, it really is. I think maybe we are getting out of this system. But now we've got to look at the where's and look at the implications of how we're going to do things. Again, the streaming situation has been discussed. That didn't seem to work. And I think some of the even some of the teams in League Two have said that, Streaming won't work for that because people won't pay the money and the infrastructure set up is not is not worth it as well. But this is where maybe the FA needs to come in and give sides some money. If they've got plenty of money or some money available, right, let's help out clubs to get them through this in this difficult situation. If maybe for half the season you're only playing in front of gates of quarter what you normally get. Yeah, talking specifically about Maidstone. Uh, now then, and and the potential of hybrid player training. Uh, I wonder how that would work, uh, Matt. If you've got some players training in the day, some players training in the evening, you would at some point, I suppose, have to bring them all together. So maybe the players, the full-time players, would train just on fitness work in in, in the days, and then in the evenings when the others came along, they'd do more of the teamwork sort of stuff and your set pieces and everything. Yeah, I think there was some certain some clubs used to do that. They, Maybe at a cup in the National League that you'd play maybe Tuesday and Thursday you would train in the evenings, but the players who could they'd come and then maybe on the Monday and a Friday, players that were full time could do their normal bit as well. So I'm sure it'll work as lots of people. If you're doing that, I think the key thing is that your Thursdays are probably absolutely key of your evening and getting everybody together. As you and well I know, John, there's a lot of players out there what lower levels than the National League whose full time job if they come out of football being on a, an apprenticeship or a scholarship from there, that is their full-time job. So they they do have abilities, oh, they get, keep getting fit in the winter by going to the gym, etc. And I've got the time on their hands to do it. I think maybe the old school non-league players maybe do have a, an old, you know, a trade to fall back on. But the players coming out of the game still concentrate wholeheartedly on their football. So there'll be plenty of players who will be able to, be able to do this. Yeah, I think if you're hungry enough to do it, uh, and the example uh, which I gave to Oliver bef- after we finished recording and um, uh, I gave to you before we started this is Freddie Ladapo, obviously the former Margate striker, uh, who when he was at Margate, he was part-time, he was earning decent money for a part-time player. Uh, but I, I, I spoke to him once or twice and he said to me, he said, well, you know, I, I don't have another job. 
I view myself as a full-time footballer. So during the week, I am doing training like a full-time footballer would. So he's obviously was working on his fitness in the gym um, and, and so on and so forth. He probably won't mind me telling you that one time I woke him up at 20 to 10, so he wasn't that committed to getting up early. Uh, but I found out for an interview and he was in bed. Um, but uh, it, it just kind of shows if you've got that drive and determination to get out there and, and it must, it must've been a lonely existence for him uh, j- doing his training on his own and stuff. And I suppose if you're really desperate, you try and just see if you can train with a, a local full-time club that's close to you. I, I don't know if that's a possibility, if some managers would be up for that or not, but it paid off for Freddie Ladapo because he went from Margate to Crystal Palace and now he's forged a really good football league career. He's just been promoted to the championship. So there is that desire there. And, and the other thing as well is that, a possibility for Maidstone could be some sort of training in the day with some part-time players on certain days. But a lot of players, and, and this is a, probably a sweeping generalisation, but a lot of players do personal training sort of work. So they can be more flexible, can't they? Yeah, and I think maybe that the players as well, John, we know in the situation where they're at the moment that players are not going to have the power they had before. So if you are a player who's come out of the game, etc., like that, you may have to take what you can get because there's so many players are not maybe not going to get the money they're going to get to. So players need to look at it and think maybe, right, I will go and play for Maidstone United and I can train full time. I've come out of the academy and I want to work to how to get back into the league. So um, it's really interesting times ahead for a lot of these clubs and also for the management and director of clubs of where they go to. Maidstone, as we know, with Oliver, a well-run club. They've got Hakenau rated in there who knows a player. who has got good contacts in the game. Where would interesting if they go down the youth player route next year, players out of the academy who could continue to go full time and who continue to, to try and get back in the league. It's an interesting times ahead for a lot of clubs. And obviously the the main reason that I wanted to speak to Oliver Ash was the idea of a salary cap. Uh not something that I particularly am fond of, uh, because I kind of associate it with sports where there's not so much pro- promotion and relegation. But having spoken to Oliver there and and, and his thinking behind it it does make a little bit of sense. And as long as uh, the, the gap between the, what there's, if there is a salary cap in League Two and, and the National League, as long as that gap isn't too massive, I don't think there's any reason why it wouldn't be a, a good idea. And, and with the current climate and the way things financially have changed in this country and will continue to change, it surely has got to be something that we look at. Yeah, I think the National League, as we know, have said, have got on the coattails of the Football League there. They've got to be careful here because if the League Two, League One, and League Two have in salary craps and the National League doesn't do it, we could see a lot of players coming into this league earning a lot more money than they would do in the, in the previous leagues, and that may continue to see that the bigger clubs who can afford to buy players will then, as Oliver Ash said, buy the league. So I think if League Two and League One are going to go and do this, and there is a, if you get promoted into the leagues, there is a little way of you working through this. I think that's the way forward. I don't know how it works. Like we, we saw Davis retain list this week. A lot, all the players who are out of contract at the moment have not been offered a new contract because I don't know where they're going. But they've got players at the moment on two-year contracts. If all those players, I'm not saying they have, I'm not saying they're not, have gone over the wage budget, how does that work? Because there's got to be a cut-off point, isn't it? You've got to well, be careful. There'd have to, there'd have to be some sort of um, transitional period yeah, where, yeah, where, exactly. when the players come in, I would imagine. But, but again... The key thing is how you monitor this. It seems to be Oliver said that it works well in rugby, so why the football? Yeah, but there will be, yeah, again, maybe the, the days of, well, David didn't used to hand out two-year contracts, but maybe the days of two-year contracts or long-term contracts in non-league could be gone out the window because, A, if you if you have a terrible season, you're relegated and you have a, your wage budget 
is lost and you lose a lot of money, your clubs could be an issue. So once again, the onus goes on the club a bit more and less off the power of the players. So interesting times ahead. But if League Two and League One are going to do it, I think the National League has got to follow suit this time. I suppose the other interesting conundrum about it would be, you talk about two-year contracts. and I mean, certainly looking in the Football League, I'd imagine Notts County will have come down probably with a wage budget that would have smashed uh, the the proposed numbers. If you don't know, the proposed numbers are around £750,000 uh, for National League and about four hundred and fifty uh, for the National League South and North, uh, which is what I read um, in that in the non-league paper at the weekend. Um, and I suppose, you know, if Notts County had players on two-year contracts, they'd have been in, in, in a difficult situation. So policing it may be a challenge, but I think that with the way things have gone, it, it's got to be time to look at it and say, yeah, you know, you've got to do that. And it may be the case that some players lose out, but it's it's a tough time and people in other businesses are losing out. So who's to say footballers might unfortunately have to as well? Yeah, I, I think that will definitely be the case. Um, it's just such an interesting time going forward in anything from this. Now we're just going to move on, get everything going, where we're going to move on. Hopefully by this time next week, we'll know that the National League will finish on a said date. Hopefully we'll have some idea, right, not a specific date, but where the leagues are going forward for when they're starting again. And hopefully that will be a knock-on for our teams in the in the lower stages of the pyramid as well, because at the moment, I know they've got that meeting you mentioned uh, next couple of days, they've got no idea what's going on either, have they? No, they certainly haven't. Uh, plenty of other news doing the rounds this week. Teams starting to look ahead uh, towards next season. Matt's just mentioned uh, Doe Athletic's retained list. Uh, as he said, all the players who are out of contracts uh, were released and, and some big names on there, Matt, especially the, the one that stood out for me the most w- was Kevin Locko, who obviously uh, was a great uh, player for Dover over the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, I think, again, he's been there for two years, captain of the team. I think he wants to go into the league. If we just have the discussion, that may be difficult for players now. But I think they would like to keep him. Um, good leader at the back, solid defensively when he's been injured. Dover have struggled a little bit. So, But again, you know, some people are criticising decisions to get rid of him. But Dover are not an issue, an issue to offer contract to players when they don't, A, know what the budget is and B, well, the season will start. They could offer, a, they've got players on contracts at the moment, but if they offer Kevin Locker a contract after the season doesn't start in December, they are then paying him money for three months of the season when he's not actually doing anything. So, and of course, he then can't be furloughed. So, you've just got to, you can see this, the wheres and whines about so what Dover are doing and probably what a lot of clubs are doing. I would have thought, you know, in, the, in, the, in a lot of sides in, the, in our level of football, players are out of contract would not be offered a new contract at the moment until they really know what's going on. Yeah, teams are certainly going to be keeping their powder dry, I would say, all the time. We don't know when uh, or we don't know when football's going to be restarting, so it is going to be uh, a, a probably a different process in terms of, you know, a lot of clubs would normally now, and, and there are some we'll be talking about shortly, be making a lot of signings and starting to build their squad, but I think we're going to see a, a mad rush uh, in the final few weeks before the season starts. Yeah, I... Uh, the transfer market will be interesting, but again, I don't know if you're a player. Would you, if you were Kevin Locko, John, will you be worried you might not pick up another club? I think he'll pick up another club, but he might not get necessarily the wages he was on at Dover this season. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, there will definitely be some takers for him, but clubs are going to be uh, cutting the cloth and any player who's out of contract is in a, is in a difficult situation. Well, I, you think about Effion, we knew he was going to Stockport for 10 grand. I don't know if that, again, he's a goal scorer, so teams will pick him up. So 
he may be in a better situation because he might be able to get, will he get, I don't know if his Stockport deal still on, if he's going to go there, but he may be, but you know, he can say, well, if somebody was going to pay 10 grand for me, now you're getting me for free. Maybe you can give me extreme wages. I, I really doesn't know how it works. If you need to be a football agent to work this out, but football has all got a way of bouncing back in this situation. And, Agents will be working 10 to the dozen to work how they can do it. Yeah, I mean, and if there are any agents out there who'd like to come on the show and, and tell us about it, you're more than happy to remain yeah. anonymous if you want to. But it'd be great to get that insight on on how the market's looking uh, in terms of players. So if, if you are an agent and, and you're listening to this, then please send us a message on Twitter and we'd love to speak to you uh, to get you on the show next week. Uh, sort of moving down the divisions a little bit, uh, Tunbridge Angels starting to shape their squad a little bit. Uh, Liam Smith's announced he's left the club this week, and uh, a, a young lad who's come through the system there, and I saw him just say, it's, it's time for me to go and play more regular football, but uh, a decent servant, even even given his young years. Yeah, I think Tunbridge have looked at it. I think Steve McKim knows where he wants to go to. He's had a look at the league. Um, what he's just done when it starts again, I think he knows what the, the players he can get in. And again, maybe he's in a situation that knows he can attract players with a little bit more experience on maybe the same sort of money as Liam Smith. They're going to do it and go from there. So, yeah, fair play to him, but I'm sure we'll get a, a good club uh, going forward and I look to follow his career intently. Yeah, and down into the uh, into the Isthmian League South East Division, uh, Ashford have announced seven players who are, who are staying with them. Uh, midfielder Luke Griffiths has moved from Faversham to VCD, but the eye-opening uh, transfer news has come at, at Ramsgate, where... I hope this isn't another one of those false dawns, but a couple of really good signings for them last week. Uh, ben Wilson from Ashford and even more eye-catchingly, Ryan Johnson from Maidstone United signing on the, jo- the dotted line to, to play for Ramsgate under Matt Longhurst next season after a difficult campaign for the Rams last time out. A terrible campaign for them. Yeah, We saw this time last year, they signed that guy who played for um, Northern Ireland and he thought, yes. oh, Ramsgate, we're going to do it. And it didn't really work out for them. They brought Rory Smith back from Australia, who's a highly rated player, but... They're going with Matt Longhurst, see what he can do. They were probably one of the sides that were absolutely delighted the season ended um, when it did because of the issues they had. But there's been, again, a bit like the Thanets, there's been plenty of false dawn in, in Thanets football, hasn't there? So I think going forward, we'll just wait and see what happens. But a couple of good signings there for Ramsgate. Going down to the scaffold and Gary Alexander is staying put at, at Glebe and, and a little bit of continuity as manager for, for, for Glebe is, is something that they need and Gary Alexander an experienced and a promising manager. Yeah, I think he was, he was, he was he before with had money problems, wasn't it? And he left there very, again, highly coached, well, good, good contacts in the game and Glebe will look glad he's staying there. I'm sure a lot of clubs, if Gary Alexander does a job, a lot of clubs will be looking for him. So he's looking to help Glebe. And I'm sure he, he's looking to help his career move up the ladder because he had a, a decent football league career. Yeah, into the first division there as well. Uh, Jason Long has moved on from his job uh, at SC Thamesmead, who were fourth uh, in Scaffold Division 1 at the end of the season. Uh, he said on Instagram, he's very grateful for the opportunity and thoroughly to have managed a great group of lads. And he hopes the club can continue to do uh, big things when the season kicks off again. He looks forward to being back in the game in the future once all the uncertainty uh, settles. Uh, there are The club are welcoming applications uh, for the job. You can find details of that on the Scaffold website. Uh, and also, uh, the Scaffold have done a little bit of an update. Uh, we understand, of course, there will be that meeting uh, that the, league's, uh, the league chairman will be at or virtually at uh, later this week. But uh, the club are, are the, the league are doing some good financial uh, work so uh, annual fees for the club uh, every club has been reduced by 250 pounds which cost the league nine thousand uh, pounds they've cancelled obviously the uh, the, the clubs uh, the, their annual dinner which has saved clubs another two thousand four hundred pound in total 
registration fees uh, do need to be paid in full, but uh, for next season, uh, 18 players will be registered free of charge. So that's nearly a £1,000 save for the clubs. And it does say the total savings for the clubs that they have sorted out so far is £12,500. Every club benefiting to some of at least £337. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to clubs in, in Scaffold Division 1, that's a fair amount, isn't it? And, and that is a, a, a good... A good start and and fair play to the scaffold for looking out for their clubs. Yeah, I think that will be. I know there was a little bit of issues that they with the fines that they had to pay. They weren't given back because the league was null and void. So they, at least they've done that to help clubs out. So fair play to the scaffold that. And a lot of clubs, a lot of leagues, will probably have to try and do that to try and get their clubs in. As we said before, some of these clubs might not get money for the VARs or the FA Cup. And the various cup competitions could really bite hard on them. So fair play to the scaffold of thinking a little bit outside the box there to help their clubs out. And I'm sure it's been uh, appreciated warmly by a lot of those clubs. Yeah, and we will also be keeping an eye on, uh, even though they are a London club, so we don't cover them on here. But we will be keeping a close eye on what goes on at Greenwich Borough. Because there's starting to be a few little whispers uh, that Greenwich Borough may be trying to get back into the scaffold despite pulling out uh, last season. And they have put out a couple of tweets uh, yesterday. Yesterday they said they would issue a further statement in relation to the ongoing issues at 8 o'clock and tagged in the league and then said that they had to await further information from the league before the statement can be released. So Greenwich Borough, having pulled out of the league, uh, may have come back in. It does say uh, that a, a little statement says, after a shocking two seasons of football, Greenwich Borough FC will make a return to football. And welcome new people to join the club. Uh, with the behaviour of the ex-directors affecting the club and its reputation, Greenwich Borough fights on to compete in the new season and ensure that respect is given for the club as it is. Uh, the club's statement will be published later today. Obviously, that statement has now not been published uh, and will clear things up in relation to the old directors of the club and the landlord and Cray Valley Paper Mills FC. So there could be uh, so, some big news coming out there from Greenwich and we will look forward to uh, to seeing what happens uh, with that one as we go along uh, we'll move on then to the uh, the stuff that I know you all want to listen to on the Kent Only podcast and, and, and the, the stuff away from it now on Friday last week Matt I went full MasterChef and cooked a three course meal impressive what, what, uh, in, in a come dine with me style can I go with your starters and see if I'd like it or not go on then uh, my starter was uh, seared scallops with chorizo and pre-puree is this a Matthew Gerrard type portion or a small MasterChef type portion? It was three scallops and nice. a, 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 like, a, like a half pan fried. Yep. Um, nice. And uh, uh, it was on a it was served on like a, a smaller plate, but it was it, it looked it looked the part, and it was a, it, bear in mind it's a starter. So yeah. yeah. Uh, then for my main course, I did a chicken ballotine stuffed with uh, mushrooms, spinach. A mozzarella cheese served with a mushroom sauce, uh, dauphinoise potatoes, uh, and vegetables. Right. How long? Can I ask how much preparation for each course? Um, it wasn't too bad actually. It, it, it took me probably the whole afternoon to cook it all, but I, I spread it out over the course of a day, so uh, it was quite a bit of prep went into it. But um, yeah, it was it, it was all right. Was that the uh, was the chicken butterfly? So you can. To put the um, I had to butterfly it myself. Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I split it down the middle, then did the whole wrapping it in cling film, and then poached it, and then finished it off in the frying pan. Very nice. Uh, And then for dessert, I did a butterscotch 
banana uh, pie. It was like a cheesecake, really. It was like a sort of um, it was it was like a cheesecake. Uh, it had like a chocolatey biscuit base, uh, and then bananas, sorted caramel cream, uh, sorted caramel sauce. Sorry, and on the top was a, a butterscotch flavour angel delight. So, if you would you go on something like you've got a usual bit of a foodie. Would you go on? We've been watching a lot of Come Die With Me because the kids like it and there's some absolute mentalists out there who makes, makes us laugh. Would you go on something like that Come Die With Me? That is a, that is a Come Die With Me style menu to try uh, and win £1,000. I think I wouldn't get on Come Die With Me because I'm too... I'm not eccentric enough. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think they only want people who are going to be entertaining, whereas I would just come in and I'd be like, yeah, I know what I'm cooking. I wouldn't mess anything up in the kitchen. I'd be like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's fine. And uh, I think I'm not the I'm not the right sort of person for them. What, what score would you have given yourself out of ten for each? What was the best course in ascending order? And Look, it, what score would you have given yourself? What were you most pleased about? The courses went. Uh, it started off with the best and got slowly worse as it went on. Right. Uh, but I would give myself a solid eight for my Sorry. food, and it and it was well received by the uh, by the recipient as well. well. So I think. I would probably, I'm not really a big fan of desserts. I'd rather have a starter. So if that was one, I'd put the scallops, because I don't really have scallops that often, but it's one of, the, one of these foods, like everything you do, oh, I love a scallop, and then you think, I should have that more often. So I would have enjoyed that. Would have been a treat. So very nice, John. So um, can you feel this every Friday you're going to be doing this going forward? No, it was just a one-off. I just, But I just decided it would be a nice thing to do, um, because I thought it would be... And it was but, good. I really enjoyed it, actually. I had a nice... Um, I had a nice day, and, and I, the only I only had one little bit of stress, but the rest of it I was absolutely fine. So, uh, what the white wine was it? Was it? Put the wine with it? Uh, yeah, we had we actually had. Well, I did canapes to start, so we had oh. canapes and prosecco, uh, and then and so we and we just kind of drank the prosecco with it. So very impressive, mate. This, what have Thanks, I been mate. making? Uh, moussaka bread. We made a cake for the uh, kids' birthday. I've got some stuff to do this week so um yeah with what have i been up to well, we haven't really been up so much to be honest so um well um, although you did have some excitement because obviously it was your your girl's birthdays uh on uh, over the weekend or and early part of this week uh 11 and 8 now that the 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 girl the, the girl's gerard and uh one of them in particular got a very exciting present yeah we said before if you listened before christmas wanted to get a nintendo switch we have got a nintendo switch so um, what's it like is it good yeah, it's quite clear. Yeah, they're playing uh, Animal Crossing, the game that came with it. And there's a, there is, we bought a uh, Sonic the Hedgehog one, which we thought would be a bit, it's basically like the 1990s version. And we thought it might be a bit more up to date. So they're not too impressed with that. But there are a little bit other little games from that. And uh, as I know, Football Manager is available. So I've already put the order in for maybe Father Christmas can buy me Football Manager 2021 for the um, for the switch uh, going forward for me from there but they had a good time they've got a telly so yeah it was it was a lockdown sort of birthday for them so i let them off have they didn't have any school on monday good headmaster but we've been working them hard so the, the next two last two days and probably the last two days have been the worst <laughs> as in arguments uh, in terms of education so um, if any teachers out there don't give them time off because they try and take liberties because we've been arguing non-stop the last two days which is a bit disappointing but we need to get back on track on that 
Yeah, and I said to Matt that if I had a Nintendo Switch, which I don't, uh, the first thing I would be buying is Mario Kart. So, uh, And if anyone else has got any game recommendations, then please let us know, because I'm sure Matt would love to see what else there is out there. Uh, yeah, got, the, my youngest has got plenty of Smith's vouchers and things like that. So um, I think she's, when the shops are already open, she's waiting to, to buy some games. So any recommendations? Well, we could all play as a family. That would be great. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, obviously, the PS5 has been uh, has been announced. I don't know if you've seen that. It looks uh, looks something quite special. That uh, is that what you've got a PlayStation? Is it? I've you got buy... an Xbox One at the moment. Would you buy a PlayStation Five? Possibly. Yeah. If, uh, well, what's, uh, what's, 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 what's this one going to do that the other ones can't? It just improves the graphics uh, and things like that. I mean, I I waited quite a long time. I, I had a PlayStation Three, uh, and I waited a long time before. I think it was probably two or three years before. Uh, the the current generation of consoles came out before I bought one, uh, which so uh, the, I, I'm not like your your ultimate fanboy. I haven't been like that since I got an N64 on release day uh, back in '97. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'll just I'm, I'll be happy to wait. And and uh, I, it's one of those things where when you're uh, in a relationship, you have to kind of pick your battles. And uh, the, the the PS5 slash whatever the new Xbox is will be a long long way down the list of battles I'll be trying to pick. So. Uh, I'll just have to sort of bide my time on that one, I think. But it does look impressive. And you were talking about Football Manager. I actually have it running in the background here. I've started a new challenge because the thing with Football Manager for me is as I don't support a team, it's quite hard for me to sort of just, there's not a team I really want to manage and, and I really want to get going. So I like to do sort of different challenges. I'll look at a team that's performing below expectations and try and make them live up to those expectations. So the big games I've done... Uh, on Football Manager 19, which is the most recent one I've got, uh, I did one as Manchester United, thinking, well, I can I can do better than United did last season, uh, and I did because I won the Premier League in my first season. Uh, I then did the Fergie Challenge, which is one I love, uh, where you take over the team 19th in the Premier League on the 6th of November, and your challenge is to turn them into the best club in the country, which is what Alex Ferguson did when he took over yeah. uh, United by 19th. And uh, so it's a random team. And I normally like to jump ahead a year as well to give, my, to give myself, make the challenge even harder. Uh, so I started it on the 6th of November 2019. Uh, and the team that I got were promoted as, the, as they were there, the, uh, Aston Villa. Uh, the first season was horrific, got relegated, uh, but went back down to the championship got Mason Greenwood in on loan, rebuilt, and uh, apart from blowing up in the last two games, were untouchable as the best team in the league, uh, managed to finish second. Uh, but then I went back into it, and I I think the last time I played it, it was about February uh, in, the, in, the, in my third season in charge, uh, and we were 10th in the Premier League. So that's uh, a game to progress. And then I decided I'd do something I've never done before. It's called the Pentagon Challenge. Right. Uh, and the challenge is to start unemployed uh, with no coaching qualification. So the absolute basics of it. Uh, and the challenge is to win the Champions League in all five continents. So Asia, North America, South America, Africa and Europe. That's going to take uh, some time. Yeah, it's a it's a long, long challenge. So I'm playing it uh, as and when I can. Uh, but obviously this is a good time to do it because I won't be doing much football managing when, once I get back to work. Uh, so I decided that probably the easiest place to start uh, my managerial career would be in Africa, thinking the African Champions League is probably the one that's most within my reach. Uh, the only problem is there's only one country playable in Africa. 
uh, and that is South, South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, so no Egypt, no you know Ghana or anything like that. It's just South Africa, and there's only two divisions. So actually, getting a job was hard enough when you're an unproven, uh, no experience English manager trying to get a job in South Africa. Uh, and I took a job uh, eventually. Uh, it took me about three or four months to actually get a job. Uh, I, I got. Just, th- I, that's I, just applying for jobs in this, is it? Yeah, so I well, you have to go for job interviews. So there was, right. I, I applied for a couple at the very start and got nowhere, and then just applied for anything that came up. And I eventually got some interviews, uh, and I became the manager of Royal Eagles, uh, who before I took over uh, under their caretaker manager, who I assume was my now assistant, former Crystal Palace midfielder Kagisho uh, Dikashui. Um, but I. Which- before they uh, so their the game they played on Friday the seventh of December was the first game they won all season. Uh, they had scored six goals when I t- when I took over uh, all season, uh, and then they went and first game of the season. And bear in mind, first game I took charge of uh, would only won say was only won once all season, only scored six goals, and went and won three two first up. Uh, currently, I've played, I've managed eight league games I've won five drawn drawn one and lost two uh, so I've turned my team round uh, in fact no sorry I tell you like that I've only lost once in the league uh, I lost in the cup as well uh, but I, I've turned things around and uh, I, I'm flying up the table I was fifth, 16th I think when I took over I'm now 10th uh, I was 8th before my 2-2 draw with uh, Ajax Cape Town uh, in my last game out. So uh, get, getting a feel for it. The only problem is, is because I've got no experience, no reputation, all the players hate me. <laughs> like I'm going into my, pre, my pre-match press conferences and um, my main man KG Dikashwi is saying to me, yeah, the players were, there, there was a good atmosphere, but then you started talking and the players aren't interested. Can you bring anybody from the lower levels of the English game over? Well, I, don't, I, I, I probably not because I don't think they'll get work permits. Right. Uh, but what I am doing is I've just uh, got the club to send me on a coaching course. So when I pass that, uh, I will hopefully start to get a bit of better uh, reputation. But I mean, the, the results should be speaking for themselves. You know, you, you have to be something special to, to beat Maccabi FC 4-1 as we did uh, two so weeks ago. Has somebody actually completed this challenge? And how long will it take oh, yeah. to Oh, years and years and years. Yeah, look it up. Look up the Football Manager Pentagon Challenge uh, and you'll see what it's all about. Um, I, another thing I've done this week is um, Hayley dug out a skipping rope that she had. All right. Uh, turns out, you know, I can't ride a bike. I also can't skip. I have to, I, well, on the bike front, I've managed to teach my kids how to ride a bike. Well, what, are you going to teach yourself then? Well, well we did. My, did, my wife did ask about uh, mum's got her old bike. They've got two bikes, but I'd be embarrassed wander on the streets of trying to teach myself but that could be coming forward me trying to learn a bike which i need somewhere that's not very open that i don't make an absolute fool of myself by <laughs> off. but yes so the ki- I've, I've managed to get the kids to learn it over this time oh, and now uh, from there so yeah so i'm quite pleased with that yeah you've done you you've done sterling work there yeah. my friend. I'm, I'm impressed yeah so yeah so yeah that's one of the things you can come out of it that they can learn to buy um learn to ride a bike well very, very good. And hopefully you'll be next and you'll soon be uh, one of those uh, nuisance cyclists that, that is in the way on the road. Yeah, it could be the case. Yes. But if, yes, probably not. But if I could just say I've done it, I could just tick it off. The, you know, the, the list, I suppose, which is hardly not a big list. If you can't ride a bike at nearly the age of 45. 
No, that is true. Uh, anyway, hopefully this has been this has been a bit more upbeat, hasn't it, this week? Uh, so uh, hopefully everybody's uh, feeling a little bit more energised. Things are starting to pick up a little bit, it looks like. And hopefully uh, soon we might even have a resolution uh, from the National League. So you never know. Uh, we are on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast. I am at John Phipps 81 Matt is at Matthew underscore Jard. You can also find the Kent Only Podcast on Facebook. Just give us uh, a search. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. We appreciate it so much. Listening figures uh, throughout the summer months have been uh, have been really really good and and thank you to all the clubs uh, who've retweeted us and all the guests who've appeared and obviously this week uh, Ollie Bayliss and Oliver Ash thank you so much uh, for speaking to us it's always a pleasure to speak to people who care about non-league football and as I say we would love to hear from anybody else so if you do want to be on the show uh, do get in touch and we'd we'd love to hear from you fingers crossed you never know next week could be the last show but then if the playoffs uh, are, are put in place then it won't be because obviously we'll be keeping an eye and what happens with Dartford going forward. Uh, but who well, knows? Could, could, could we get a press part if Dartford... Well, we have to go away because Dartford aren't going to be at home, I suppose. I could say that. We could actually go to a game. If oh, we, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah we, well, PPV'd up, we could do. Can we? Where, does, where, does, where would Dartford play? Slough, and then I think it would be Haven. Oh. So... so I was, if I, to be fair... Some of the places that once we come out of lockdown, Slough and Havant wouldn't be top of my pile, to be honest. So, uh, but to be fair, I've been stuck in your house for, for months. Don't they sound like Mecca? Yeah, well, <laughs> no, definitely not Slough and uh, Havant. But there you go. But yeah, hopefully this time next week, we'll definitely know what's going on um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, we should look forward to it. But thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's show and we'll speak to you all next week. I'm going to go and find out if I'm classed as an elite athlete, I think, now, John. <laughs>